church, particularly on a Sunday morning. It's great to see some faces that I don't know, and that's always a good sign uh, when there's people here who have, who have joined in the last, or, or starting to come and just check it out over these last uh, few weeks. And uh, I was just very aware this morning that, you know, for, for some of you who have been used to the Ilkeston, you know, it could be lots and lots of musicians and, you know, all this and that that's happening and, you know, bigger crowds and whatever. I don't want you to just, you know, I want you to just be very mindful today that, you know, the presence of God that's in a Hillsong, the presence of God that's in the central campus in Ilkeston, the same spirit, the same Jesus is here today. It often comes out in different ways and expressed in different ways, but Jesus is here. And I want to encourage you that because while I was in worship, I just, I just, a smile on my face, Jesus, you're here. You're here amongst us and you wanted to do something amazing amongst us. And, and I, I really believe that he has the power to break strongholds. So we're singing it. I believe he has the power to open blind eyes. He has the power to break into difficult estates and areas around Mansfield that we've been praying into for years. We, do we believe that or do we not believe? We have the, he has the power to overcome darkness. So, Lord, we thank you for this time that we can gather. We thank you that we can lift up the name of Jesus. We want your name to be lifted high. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for the leaders, for Stephen and Alini and the leaders here who are serving you faithfully. And we're believing together, Lord, for you to do a mighty thing here in this, in this town and in this area. And uh, we just continue to just soak everything that we do in prayer and honour to your name. And Lord, this morning is, is my joy to open up the Bible. I pray, Lord, that you take your word and you take my words. And Lord, that you'd make them powerful. Lord, that it would uh, impact us. It would impart something in our hearts. And Lord, a change would occur as a result of his being in your presence. So we lift up your name this morning. And everybody said together, Amen. Now, let me tell you this morning, I know some of you may be still trying to wake off, you know, shake off the sleepiness, but I preach much better if you smile at me and if there's a little bit of vocal nurse and yes, yeah, oh, what a, what the, I did that last year when I was preaching in Manchester and some guy started shouting out at me. I don't want anybody shouting out at me. Literally, he was shouting out at me in the service. I've not had that for a while. Um, I've had it before, but not for a while. Um, but, uh, you know, if you just give me a, your, your full attention, then that would be absolutely fantastic. It's been a great series that... Uh, we plotted together. It was actually um, the, the thought of Stephen, actually, your pastor here, who just had this thing uh, stirring in his heart around hope is here. And uh, we said, we'll, we'll run that over both campuses. That will be the theme for Easter, for the Easter Sunday. And it will just be the, for the consecutive few weeks afterwards. So it's my joy to finish off, close off the, um, the, the series, um, this mini-series around hope is here. Uh, I've not had a chance to listen to Andy of last week, but I understand he was absolutely fantastic. And that's great when you hear of guys who are just ministering God's word with great effect. But today I just want to pick up on this thought about hope is here. Has anybody ever messed up? Just give me a wave if you've ever messed up. I mean, I just want you to all help me. Just give me a wave. If you've messed up more than once, why don't you use both hands? You know, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who've messed up here and I'm with you I mean if I could do it I'd be doing all this as well because I've just messed up many many times
times. You know, we have this thought around God, and if you're on your journey to faith, or you're new in faith, or if you've had over many years bad theology, and I I may come on to that, because I I did. I don't know where it came from, but many, many years ago, it was bad theology, because the thought around it was that if I've messed up, then God can't love me. The, 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 The better I am, if I'm good, God loves me, If I'm bad and I mess up, then God falls out of love with me. You may say, really? Yeah, that was my theology. I thought thought the more that I did that was good, that, that, you know, if I didn't think bad thoughts and I didn't think do bad things, then then I'm always good with Jesus. But actually, if I think a bad thought, and let me tell you, we all can think bad thoughts. And if I, you know, did a bad deed or whatever, then all of a sudden God falls out of love with me. And I'm so thankful that my theology was corrected many, many years ago because actually there's nothing that can stop God's love towards me. In fact, the Bible says nothing can separate His love from my life. He loves me in spite of my weaknesses. And as we think about the Easter story in particular, there was one particular man who I honestly think felt utterly hopeless. He was the man by the name of Peter. And Peter was the kind of man who you just really want to be around. He was the leader. He was the one who was going to lead the charge. He was the life and soul of the party. He was the one with probably the loudest voice, the booming voice. He was the one who was just going to step in when everybody were a little bit with intrepidation. This was Peter. And Peter was the one who said to Jesus before Jesus went to the cross, he said, when everybody else forsakes you, I'll never forsake you. I'll die for you, Jesus. And to the point where when some guards came to arrest Jesus in the garden, he was the one who snatched the sword and cut off the soldier's ear. And Jesus took that ear. I mean, what a remarkable miracle. It would have been a bit bloody and gory as well, eh? But he took the ear and, you know, remarkably, just with the touch of Jesus, just healed this soldier's ear and said to Peter, I mean, this is what, what is it? But in essence, you know, my kingdom's not, not of this, it's not a force. This is my, a poor, this is my, the appropriate time. This is my time. This was Peter. But Jesus said to him, before the cock crows, you're going to disown me. Never, never. But if you read the story of the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's in the New Testament. And they're called the Gospels because they were people who were around Jesus' life and they were recording it. They were journaling it. That's why it comes across in different ways. So Stephen and I could be looking at some situation and we said, okay, now write this down, what you saw. And in essence, it would be the same, but we'd write it differently. And that's what the Gospels account were. That's why you get just slight differences. And we see in the Gospels that Jesus, sorry, that Peter, when he was, when, when, when Jesus was amongst the guards and was amongst Pilate and he was at a distance and there was a little servant girl who said, weren't you, to Peter, weren't you the one who was with Jesus? And he said, it wasn't me. And this happened not just once, not just twice, but three times. Listen to me. He disowned 
He disowned the one who he said that he would love forever. He was in ministry, just spent three and a bit years with Jesus. They'd ate together. Don't misunderstand me here. They'd slept probably in the same room together. There was nothing of any connotations there. We have to even say that because of just the weird warped world that we live in. They were friends. They just were friends. They did life together. He saw Jesus with the miracles. He was the one who plucked Peter from being a fisherman and said, there's more in you than catching fish. And yet this Peter, this Peter disowned Jesus. At that point, I want to tell you, he became utterly hopeless. Hopeless. Hope is here? You must be joking. I don't know whether you've ever felt like that. I say all that because there are times when we've messed up, haven't we? Those who are in faith, those who know Jesus, we've messed up with Jesus and we've got it wrong. And we've seriously got it wrong. I can't even begin to tell you, Patrick, how many times I've got it wrong with Jesus. How many times I've fallen down. How many times I've made mistakes. But I want to tell you that God still loves me in spite of the mistakes. See, hope is here. This was the aftermath of the Easter Sunday story. Hope is here. Not just He is the God of the second chance, but He is the God of the many chances. I am so glad that He's not just the God of the second chance. I'll say to our kids sometimes if they're misbehaving, listen, you're having another chance and then this is trouble. Anybody ever said that to your kids? You want more time and you're going to be in trouble. Well, God says to us at times, you know, you've done it again. Okay, I'm going to give you another chance. And I'm going to give you another chance. And I'm going to give you another chance. And I'm going to give you another chance. Because he's not just the God of the second chance or the third chance or the fourth chance or the fifth chance. He's the God of the many chances. And I'll just give a little bit of background to that thought as well in a few moments. He's the God of the many chances. Can I hear a big amen here? So if you've ever felt like you've messed up or you feel like you're messing up at the moment, you're here and you feel like you're really messing up, then God loves you. That's the message that we want you to walk out of, that God loves you. Now listen to me, God loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. And that's where I will give some balance in a moment because we can't just carry on doing what we're doing. There's actually consequences to the things that we do. And if we keep doing the same things time and time again, wrong, 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 we think it's okay. It isn't. There are consequences to all of our sins, to all of our mistakes. But what I'm trying to get across to you is that God loves you in spite of your mistakes. Are you hearing me? God still loves you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Of Christ. So we see here this story. Let's read it because I said I'd read it and I'm 10 minutes into it. It says in John 21, verse 51, sorry, verse 15. And again, the context to it, we see that actually there's been a remarkable catch of fish in the first few verses where Peter, basically, after disowning Jesus, taking himself out of the ministry, he went back to what he knew, which was the family business, which was catching fish. He just went back to catching fish. But what happened was something remarkable took place. That Jesus was appearing to different people. And at this particular junction, he wanted to appear to Peter and his pals. And whilst they were out fishing that night, 
they came back with a huge catch of fish from chapter 21, 1 to 14. In fact, it notes that they caught 153 fish, very prescriptive, and they were large fish. This was a huge catch of fish. This was great success for a fisherman. But then they realized Jesus is there, and Jesus is actually cooking them breakfast on the beach. Sounds a bit idyllic, doesn't it? He was cooking them breakfast. He's got the hot coals going. He was cooking them breakfast. And we'll pick up the story now in verse 15 because this is what it says. When they had finished eating, when he uses the word Simon Peter because they changed his name, his name's Peter. I'm going to just use the word Peter even though it comes up there. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now these commentators tell us could be two or three things, but most commentators, and when I studied this, I would absolutely concur with them, that these are the fish, the 153 large fish. He's saying, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your livelihood? Do you love me more than your success? Do you love me more than your wealth? Because this was a big catch. This was money, money, money. This was spondooly. This was moolah. Okay, for a fisherman. Do you love me more than all of this? This is what Peter replies. Yes, Lord, he says. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Second time. He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Then the third time, moments later, he said to him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Three times Jesus asked him the same question, do you love me? There's a couple of things I want to share, but before I get there, as I've said, there was a story here where we have a man who's just completely devoid of hope because he'd messed up, seriously messed up. And there are many people in the world who are devoid of hope. You look in the eyes of people and you can see lack of hope. In fact, there are times when I see people walk through church buildings that I'm in and you look into their eyes and you say hello to them, but they're absolutely devoid of hope. They feel utterly hopeless. If you go down a shopping center or go down Four Seasons and just people watch for a moment, you'll see people who are devoid of hope. And sometimes they can be carrying lots of bags. And it's not that they haven't got any money. It's just that when you look into their eyes, they're devoid of hope. You know, there's something worse than the crisis of famine and of lack of water and of healthcare that we can see across the world. And it's terrible that people have to go through such pain and suffering as a result of those very natural things that we take for granted of water, of healthcare, of medicine. But there's something far worse of, um, there's, there's, there's more than a lack of those things, it's hope. Because many of those people know that even if you gave them some food, they still have no hope for the future. Hope is not just associated or hopelessness associated to some third world country. We have an epidemic here in the United Kingdom and it's called hopelessness. 
people feel hopeless. And particularly amongst men. It was interesting, this same message is slightly different because of just where I felt I wanted to go today. But I preached the same message last week in, in Ilkeston. You haven't had the, you know, the leftovers, please be assured, because I've been praying over this. Because I wanted the Lord to speak to me and speak to you today. So you really catch, catch something, of a fresh word this morning. Can I hear an amen? I hope it's fresh to you. It's fresh to me, even though I preached it last week. It's fresh. But as I prepared it last week, I prepared particularly around the thing of men with suicide. And I said to the Lord again this week, I said, Lord, would you just help me? Do you want this same illustration? He said, yes, I want you to use the same illustration. I want you to read out the things. It was interesting last week as I shared this, I had two men and I had a third one this week come to see me about suicide. Who were were listening to me as I shared. Three men. Two in our church feeling utterly hopeless. Now, let me just talk to you a moment. Because young people are devoid of hope and we have some youngsters here. And they're crying out and they're suffering in silence. And thanks to Nathan and Jared and and Joe and and Sam and Patrick and the other guys who are really trying to bring hope. Can I hear that? Hope in a hopeless world amongst young people. That they are loved, they are valued, they are cared for. This place is open from on a Friday night. Even if they just want to get out of the cold when it's cold and they can have a cup of tea. Yes, we love young people, don't we, in Arena Church, Mansfield. If you love them, you'll get them. If you don't love them, you'll never have them. If you love kids, you'll get them. If you don't love kids and they make noises and you get all frustrated and the top brigade comes out, you won't have them. So that's why I'm committed to loving children and young people and making a lot of noise and making a lot of mess because we want to bring hope to young people and young children. Can I hear a big amen? But also amongst men. And I'm so glad we have a lot of men here today and a lot of men in our church. But more men commit suicide than women. These are statistics from 2017, right up to date from the Samaritans. The highest suicide rate in the UK is for men between the ages of 40 and 44. Rates have increased in the UK by nearly 4%. There were 6,639 suicides in the UK and Ireland. And male rates remain consistently higher than female suicide rates. Most notably, they are three times higher in the UK. So for every one woman who commits suicide, there's three men who do. We'll say we have a challenge. We have a challenge because people are living without any sense of hope. And Paul, as a next police officer here, will have seen this time and time again. And we don't even want to open up the things that he would have had to have been called to and seen. Dreadful things. Dreadful things. I don't want to put a dampener on it. I just want to lift your spirits because I want to say, you might feel like that's you. And if you are, you need to get hold of your small group leader. You need to talk to one of the pastors here. Please don't do anything silly, men or women. Your life is worth more than just taking your own life. You have value. You have purpose. You are loved. You are precious. Things might feel very dark. I understand the darkness of where you might be at. But I want to say in the midst of darkness, God can shine his light. And it can be so rapid and so great. God has an incredible plan for your life. Don't stop and don't go with the enemy's plan for you. 
But the reality is, there are people who are devoid of hope. But hope is here. Yes, we will fail. We will fail. In fact, just nudge your neighbor because you've gone very quiet at me. Just say, I think he's saying we will fail. I think he's saying we will fail. I'm not wishing it on you. I'm just telling you, we will all at times make mistakes. But the Bible says that this, in 1 John 3 verse 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. I wanted to do an illustration of this, and I was going to do a bit of video in. It would have been a really not great video in, because it would have been with my mobile phone. But I was going to get a big cake, and I was going to pour custard and cream and ice cream on it. And I was going to start eating it and saying, but that isn't enough. We want more, because what God's heart is, that he wants to lavish the cake. He wants to lavish more cream and more custard and more ice cream. Or am I making you feel hungry? This is the love of God, that we are the cake. And God doesn't just give a little bit of morsel. Oh, I can't be doing with people. I say, would you like a little bit of cream? And they just do that and then they've gone, pour it on. Pour the cream. Anybody with me? Pour the cream on. When you get a piece of cake and it's a little, I'm so glad that Gail's in our coffee shop over the project. It's not a little incy-bincy piece of cake. It's a slab of cake. I don't like these, you know, nice fancy restaurants where, what do they call it? Uh, The nice fancy food where you get like a little morsel. A la carte. Oh, I can't be doing. Give me, give me meat. Give me potatoes. Anybody with me? Can I hear a big amen? Oh, yeah. I knew Philip would be with me. And this is the image that I want to paint in your mind that God doesn't just say, oh, I'll give a little bit of my love. And there you go. What does the Bible say? He's lavished it. So in your failure, He still lavishes you. With love. But here's the thought. This is not an excuse to carry on sinning. Because this is bad theology as well. Because the grace theology has, I think, gone a little bit out of kilter. And it's almost you can do as you please, do as you want. And the Apostle Paul, a great leader in the New Testament, had to handle this in the churches that he was dealing with because it seems to be they'd understood grace but then they thought that that was a license to keep on sinning and he addresses them in Romans in chapter 6 and verse 1 it'll be on the screens and he says this what shall we say then shall we go go on sinning that grace may increase so some people were saying well if we want more of the grace we'll keep on sinning he said this is an illogical argument by no means It's not an excuse, the grace of God for us to keep on sinning. I know my boy is at times going to get it wrong. He got it wrong this morning. I had to have words with him. In fact, I had to have words with him yesterday and the day before, didn't I, son? Hey. Now listen to me. He's not going to, I'm going to still extend huge grace towards him because he's my boy. I love this boy. I'd laid my life down for this boy. I would. I'd give my life for this boy. I'd give my life for my kids, right? But what I don't want him to do is keep on, well, I'm going to receive the love of God, so I'm going to keep doing naughty things so it keeps pouring out of me. My love is towards him, whether he's bad or good, but I want him to be good. Do you understand that? I want him to be... Listen, God wants us to be good. He wants us to live according to the Bible. And why? Because he knows that when we do that, we live at peace in our hearts. Because I don't know whether you've ever been there when you've not been doing what God's told you 
Anybody full of peace when they're not doing what God's told them? Give me a wave. Never. There's no peace. There's no joy. So this is not an excuse for us sinning. But, I'll say it again, we will mess up. And when we do mess up, you need to refuse the lie that says you are a mistake, you are a failure, you are stupid, and you are guilty. Because these are the words that come to Christian believers. I have heard this so many times in one-on-one situations with people who've been battling with their mind, battling with mistakes. They've been used language like you're a mistake, you're a failure, you're stupid, you're guilty. I want to tell you, this is words of life to you. You are loved by God. You are full of purpose. You are forgiven. You are washed and you are clean. You are smart. You are valued. You are unique. Hope is here and it's in you. Do you receive that? Words of life. Now let's go back to the story and I've literally nearly run out of time. Because we see Peter now. He's been asked these questions. But what do we do with that? What Jesus was doing here was he was restoring hope back to Peter. He was restoring hope. But there was two things that he did that I think are very, very significant. And if you've messed up, if you're not a Christian, your lack of hope, you're hopeless. Or if this is just something that you need to hear because it may be that you may mess up in the days ahead. I want you to just note these two things that Jesus did with Peter. First of all, It started with a life-changing decision. A life-changing decision. There were three times, what did he ask Peter? What were the three things he asked him? Three times. Sorry, say that again. Do you love me? Three times he asked him. And three times, Peter, you could feel the emotion going heightened. By this time, it was the third time he was hurt. Do you love me? It started with a life-changing decision because Jesus really wanted to know that Peter loved him. That Peter was committed to following him. That Peter would now, in fact, lay his life down for Jesus. You see, very often when we talk about church and Jesus and the love of God, people immediately go to religion. I'm not talking about religion. I have no interest in religion. I'm not interested one iota with religion. I'm not talking about reading the Bible. I'm not talking about praying. I'm not talking about taking communion, breaking of bread. I'm not talking about giving to the poor. And let me say, all those things are good. All those things are good. All those things are helpful. I'm talking about, do you really know God? Do you really love God? Are you absolutely certain today that he is your friend and that he is your savior? Do you have a living relationship with Jesus? Is it real? Is it live? Is it live or is it dormant? A real love for God. And that's what Jesus was asking Peter. Do you love me? In fact, he said, do you love me more than these? What are the these for you? Is it that husband? Is it that wife? Is it that child? Is it that house? 
Is it that car? Is it that business? What are these in your life? Because Jesus said to Peter, do you love me more than these? He was trying to get to the heart of it again because Jesus was very, very clear in Matthew 10 verse 37. He says this, anyone who loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He wasn't saying you shouldn't love your mum or dad or you shouldn't love your husband or your wife or you shouldn't love your kids. But let me me be clear. As followers of Jesus, this is where it becomes real tough for many people. It's him first. It's him first. I've seen people who've literally followed him and family members who they dearly loved have actually said, we don't want anything to do with you now. What do you do with that? I've seen some people who've had that and then they've gone back to family, family members and that's told me clearly that they've loved the family members more than they love Jesus. Jesus isn't trying to be difficult. He just wants to be first. But let me tell you, the more I love Jesus and the more I put him first, the more I love my husband. The more you love Jesus, wives, the more you'll love your, your husbands. And husbands, the more you love Jesus, the more you'll love your wife. The more I love Jesus, the more I love my kids. The more I love Jesus, the more I love you guys. Because you guys, some of you, I'm sure over the years, I've irritated you. And by the way, you've irritated me. I'm sure you've got upset with me at times. And by the way, I've got upset with you at times. But the more I love Jesus, the more I love you. That's the point. You've got it. The more we love Him, the more we place Him first, front and central in our lives, everything good flows from that position. But what I realize is that a lot of people want to put other things, these things, before him. He also says in Luke 14, verse 25, One day when large groups of people were walking along, Jesus turned and told them, Anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of their father, their mother, their spouse, their children, their brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self, can't be my disciple. And anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow me can't be my disciple. It starts with a life-changing decision. Who are you following today? Are we following Jesus? Is he first, front and central in our lives? Everything good in this church will flow from people who have that at their heart. Everything good. Secondly, And lastly, it didn't just start with a life-changing decision. He then ended up with living with purpose, finding the vision. Very quickly, the third time he said to him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. The only thing I can say here is that Peter's life was not destined to go fishing in the, in the lake. He was saying your life is more than just fishing. Now, if you're a fisherman, that's wonderful. And that's your call and that's your destiny. Great. But for this man, that wasn't the case. He was destined to feed the sheep of God. He wasn't talking about literally feeding sheep. He was talking about building the church. It was on about teaching and instructing the people. It was on about laying a foundation for the church to be built upon. And we're here today as a result of the foundational teaching and theology of Peter and Paul. He was talking about feeding my sheep. And what he did, he 
reinstated a purpose. He said, Peter, I'm now giving you a purpose. I'm now giving you a vision. And this is the restore of hope. Because Jesus doesn't just want to change our lives as in we know that we know him. But then he wants to give your life a purpose. Again, so many people lack purpose. They don't know what they're meant to be doing. They don't know what their life is for. I'm so glad that here at this church, we've got something that's coming up soon, growth track, where it's a four-week after church. There'll be some food. And then what they'll do is they'll take you on the journey how you can know God, how you can find freedom, how you can discover your purpose, and then how you can go and make a difference. And some people will say, I've been trying to find this for 20, 30, 40 years. I want to say, I believe that this can be the most significant time in your life. You will sign into this because it will take you on a journey, helping you to go to the next step of finding your purpose. One of the greatest joys that I have in my life, one of, not the only joy, is just living with a sense of purpose. I'm not one of the lucky ones, you know. I'm not one of the lucky ones. We're all I was going to say lucky. People get a bit worked up. We're all blessed. We're all favoured. But I just just know what I'm meant to be doing. I'm so glad that I'm right in the bullseye of what God wants us to do. To build the church. To help people to fulfil their destiny. I'm so glad that God's placed me here. There's sometimes I'd love to wake up to the Florida blue skies and the gorgeous heat, but this is where God has placed us. Can I hear an amen? I'm riding the purposes of God, exactly where God wants us to be. I'm living with a sense of purpose. And that gift is so wonderful to me. Somebody wrote recently, the greatest gift you can give yourself is a vision. So compelling, it pulls you through discouragement, setbacks, and delay. I want to tell you, I gave a gift to myself. It's a sense of vision and purpose. So when there is disappointments, when there are delays, when there are setbacks, I keep moving forward and marching forward because hope is in my heart. And Peter had a sense of hope and of purpose and of destiny. And it's impossible in this half an hour to try and unpack this because this is a subject in its own. But what I want you to know is that God wants to place purpose and vision and destiny in every heart. No matter what's been spoken over you, God has a plan for your life. God say, I have plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Can I hear a big amen? That is the heart of God. And if you will live with making that life-changing decision and you will allow his word then to speak to your heart, you will get a sense of purpose. And guess what will happen? Hope will be in your heart. Again, look at the life of Peter. As a result of that, he did exactly what Jesus said that he would do. In fact, even to the point of his death. Because in John 21... Jesus saw the death that he would have to go through. And history records that Peter even fulfilled the death that Jesus saw. But he lived with a sense of purpose. People will try and derail you. They will try and stop you. But this vision will keep you focused and strong. Hope, hope is here. I've messed up, but he's a God of the second chance and the third chance. Jared and the many chances. And God has 
called me. I'm now going to be committed to serving him. I'm going to love him with everything. And I'm going to live out his purposes in my life. I wonder if we just bow our heads for a moment. I want to pray for you today.